All right. Doxa, if you haven't grabbed your Bible and opened up to James chapter 3, go ahead and do that now. Because we are in week 6 of our 12-week study through the, the great, powerful, kind of just like punchy book of James. And so, as you get there, um, we have 12 verses today. All right, kind of our, if you're newer and visiting our propensity as we gather like this, as we gather around the Bible, and we just kind of go through books of the Bible, slow and steady, almost verse by verse, 12 verses today that quite honestly, I believe are really unlikely to leave us unaffected. All right, because today, James, by the direction of God and like the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's talking to us about our tongues, all right? He's talking to us about the words that we speak. And, and when it comes to this topic, okay, the words that we say, many people in this world, we, we really don't think too much about this. And, and I think this starts off when we're young, all right? Because if you, if you think about it, think about your childhood. What was one of the, the phrases and the sayings that we, we oftentimes learned? We, some of you, you teach this to your kids now. Do you remember what it was? Sticks and stones. Well, you guys didn't learn that? Okay, we just got to wake up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Now, here's the truth about that saying, okay? That's a, that's a very sticky saying, okay? Super memorable, but it's completely inaccurate, all right? Because we, we live in a world, guys, where, where words matter, all right, and, and words have the capacity to affect us in, in really, really profound ways, that the damage done by something said to us can, can go far deeper and last much longer than the damage done by sticks and stones. I mean, some of you, I don't have to talk you, you into this. You've, you've experienced this. I mean, some of us, we, we walk into this place or you're sitting in front of your screen right now and you're, you're carrying like significant hurt with you significant insecurity because of something that someone said to you, even a long time ago. And the truth is, guys, depending on the words that we speak, the words that we hear, receive, accept, believe, they can either create life in us or bring death to us. And that's a dramatic statement, but as we get into these 12 verses, we're gonna see James show us this, because he wants to help us today. He wants to help us recognize that the words that kind of so easily roll off our tongue are so immensely powerful. And so this passage has something to say to every single one of us, because the truth is, is we all have tongues, we all have words. All right, so this isn't one of those sermons where you're like kind of sitting there and be like, oh my gosh, I sure hope Mary's listening to this because she really needs that, right? This is like something that we should be like, no, like if there's Mary, Mary, I don't, I'm not talking to you. Okay, I just came to my mind. Okay, but anyway, but this is, a, this is a message like that has something to do for every single one of us, that God wants to teach us something today. And just like a doctor does when you go in for a checkup, James asks us to open our mouths and stick out our tongue. And just as a doctor can kind of look inside your mouth, look at your tongue and see if there's something going on that's making your body unhealthy, this is exactly what James does. As we stick out our tongue and look at it and look at our words, James is gonna show us the state of our soul. So let's get into this. James chapter three, verse one. Here is how he begins to talk to us about our tongues and our words. And this is what he says. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. All right, so he starts off this section about our tongue with a, with a warning for pastors, all right? He's talking about teaching in the church 
all right, in, in this capacity of, of pastor, and he warns that, that people shouldn't rush into this kind of role because teachers will be judged more strictly by God. And so when we come to the Bible, we, we ask questions, right? And so we ask this question, why? Why does, a, why does a teacher receive stricter judgment by God than the hearers do? And, and really the bottom line that we see throughout the Bible, Bible is this, is that what a teacher says with his words, by his tongue or her tongue, impacts many lives. All right, that the words a pastor uses to teach the Bible have the particular, it can cause particular damage in the life of the church and affect so many people beyond himself. And teachers will be judged more strictly because, hear this, if you ruin your own life, that's one thing. If, if you ruin the life of your family, that's another thing. But if you ruin the life of the family of God, the church that Jesus established by his death and resurrection, that is an entirely different thing. And as I thought about this passage, you know, like the, the study of the book of James, like I really like James, you know, because he's just like really quick, gets to the point and all this stuff, but it's also kind of like a gut punch sometimes. And you're like, wow, yeah, I don't know if I want to teach on this. Can we just get back to like the kids coming to Jesus and loving him like that, you know? But what he says here, I, I thought about this. And, and for me, sometimes it's just like an overwhelming feeling you know, that I experienced before a message on a Sunday morning. You know, and it's not just like the feeling that, oh man, I, I really hope this is good for people. I really hope that they like this. But it's more of the, the feeling like of, man, I, I really hope and pray that what I say with my words is honoring to God and truthful to him. Because extreme care in prayer is absolutely needed as a teacher teaches the Bible and the responsibility to handle God's word accurately cannot be taken lightly because too many lives, too many souls are at stake and God will judge us by our words, right? Because guys, the reality that we see in the Bible is even the way the Bible starts, God speaks, that words create worlds and that our words influence people. And so as a teacher, if he's speaking or she's speaking false things about God, it will lead people away from Jesus. That is a big deal. And this is what James is saying. Be very careful with your words. Not many of you, he says, should seek to be teachers because there's a heavy responsibility that comes with this role. But then he goes on, and if you look, he highlights something that is a particular issue for teachers in the church, but it's also a, a general issue for all Christians, look at verse two. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. All right, and here's what he's saying, okay? No one is infallible, amen? That's not the, yeah, amen, right? No one is infallible. James is, is pointing out the truth that, that every single human being, including like great Christian leaders and teachers like James himself, sin in many ways. I mean, look back, notice he says we. He's including himself in this, that we, every single one of us, we all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God. And as James points this out, he emphasizes, listen to this, he emphasizes that our words tend to be the area of our lives that we sin most regularly. And as James talks about this, he's not describing someone who's never at fault, but he's describing someone who generally doesn't stumble in what they say. And such a person is, is not perfect in the sense of, of being sinless, 
because that title is reserved strictly for Jesus. He's the only perfect one. The rest of us, we've got a lot of issues, and that's why we come here and we sing about him, we teach about him, we worship him. He's the perfect one, not us. But what James is talking about is this idea of, of maturity, all right? Because the word that he uses as perfect, it's the same Greek word that if you go back to chapter 1, verse 4, he uses this word there describing a person who has been made mature as they've persevered. And so in other words, what James is, is pointing out is what he pointed out in chapter 1, verse 26, where he says one of the marks of an authentic Christian faith is keeping a tight rein on our tongue. All right, this is I, this idea of, of controlling our tongue. And so the big question then is like, how do we control our tongue? Some of us, we, we really, all of us, we need to grasp this. Some of us more specifically than others, but how do we control our tongue? And here's what I'll, I'll propose to you guys. To control your tongue, you need to understand it first. And there's four things that James gives us. He basically gives us an anatomy of the tongue. There's four things that we need to understand about our tongue here. And the first one is this, is that the tongue is powerful. And he shows us the, the powerful nature of our tongue by giving us two examples. Look at verse three. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Okay, now I'll be straight up with you. I'm, I'm not by any means an equestrian. Okay, I think that's the word for people who play with horses, not play with, ride horses. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> Suzanne's watching. I'm really sorry, Suzanne. I, anyway, I'm not at all, okay? But I have ridden a number of horses throughout my life. And each time I ride a horse, guys, it's, it's really an altogether terrifying experience for me, okay? <laughs> because each time I sit on the back of a horse, I realize how massive they are, how small I am, and how I have zero control over what they do, okay? I remember the, one of the first times I noticed this, Lisa and I went on a honeymoon, and we, were, we took like a romantic horse ride on the beach, right? And it was just like, here's a horse, jump on it, and we're going. And like these horses are biting us, and like just like trying to buck us up. It was, but here's the interesting thing, okay? While a horse is like a half ton of raw power, if you place a small piece of metal called a bit into its mouth, a child can sit on its back and if they know what they're doing, the whole animal can be steered and controlled very easily. That there's this disproportionate impact between the size of the bit and the largeness of the horse. And so it's really easy to see what James is saying here about our tongue. It's, he's like, it's like that. But he goes on and he says, this is the same idea with ships. He says, think of like a massive ship and how like a captain can turn this massive ship by just a small turn of the wheel that moves a little rudder. One of the largest ships in the, in the world is the U.S. aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. All right, it weighs over 91,000 tons. It's nearly 1,100 feet long. It has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine. Some of you guys that are car guys, you're like, oh my gosh, how do I get one of those, right? But it's just like, you know, it, it's huge. It can hold up to 6,100 people and can carry 100 aircrafts. 
I mean, we're talking like a floating city. This thing is, is massive. But yet this massive ship is steered by a rudder that, hear this, is one-tenth of a percent of the size of the ship. And so something so comparably small is able to steer something so massive. And so James is saying a tiny bit, a proportionately tiny rudder, achieve big results. Okay, this is his point. Little mechanism, disproportionate impact. And then having said all this, James says, I want you to understand what this means for you. Look at verse five. The tongue is a small part of the body, but very, very powerful. And so it makes great boasts, all right? And I, and I really haven't found a, a pain-free way to, to verify this, but I learned this week that a tongue is less than a half a percent of our body weight, okay? So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what Wikipedia said, okay? So, but really small, but has this enormous impact on our lives disproportionate to its size. Because if you think about it, like our tongue is able to determine the very course of our lives. And chances are, you don't have to think too hard about things that you have said that have changed the direction in the path of your life, for better or worse. And this is simply what James is, is saying to us. So small, but so powerful, our words are, are powerful. And these first two illustrations, they're, they're really pretty neutral. They could be either positive or, or negative, but James now goes on to say, that's true, they're kind of neutral, but it really tends to lean towards the negative because the tongue is not something that we tend to use for good. And this brings us to the second characteristic of the tongue, and it's this, is that the tongue is destructive. Look back to verse five. Second part of verse five, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Now this is one of those passages like, you know, oh, okay. Like what do we, what do, we do with that, right? Because it's, it's, it's hard and it's direct. Because James wants us to see the kind of impact that our tongues and our words generally have. And to demonstrate this, he, he moves past horses and ships and he makes us think about a forest fire. And, and I'll explain it like this, okay? On October 8th of 1871, one of the largest, deadliest forest fires ever recorded happened two and a half hours north of where we're at right now, in Peshtigo, Wisconsin. Right, and within a few days, this fire destroyed 1.2 million acres of forest, roughly 1,900 square miles. 16 towns were burnt down. Somewhere between 1,500 and 2,500 people were killed. In the, in the reports of this time, report that the fire spread so rapidly and was so hot and violent that people were literally running from their lives from it. It was moving that quickly and they were jumping into many of the rivers that are in northern Wisconsin. As they would jump into these rivers to hopefully be saved by it, the water was so hot that it literally made the rivers boil and these people boiled to death. This crazy fire. Now you think about that. And ask this question, like, do you think that that person started that fire and intentionally did that? No. I mean, historically, they really don't even know how it happened, but they speculate the best guess that they have is it was likely that a logger who had a campfire 
He didn't extinguish the campfire properly, and on that particular day, it just happened to be a day where a cold front came in really quickly, which brought strong winds, and some of the sparks that were left over from that fire shot out and ignited everything and spread so quickly and out of control. Because this is what James wants us to think about. James says this is the type of impact that our words can have. That the tongue, Docs, I just want you to hear this, the tongue is fire-causing. Look at, back at verse 6. The tongue is a fire. All right, our, our tongue is literally just like a, a spark that can really just unleash hell. All right, this is what James says. And the truth that he wants us to be gripped by is that even though as a, as a Christian, we, could, we can say with all certainty and assuredness that I'm not going to hell. Jesus has paid it all. We can say that. The truth is, you can unleash hell on someone else. This is what James is trying to get across. If you look back to verse 6, this is the language he uses here. The word hell is the word Gehenna. All right, and Gehenna is just a reference to a place that was right outside the city of Jerusalem where basically trash was burned all around the clock. And in this time, not only was trash burned there, it just became like this really disgusting place and pagan people would go out to this terrible place and they would engage in all types of like horrible, disgusting acts. In fact, one of the things that they would tend to do in this place is they would take their young children out there and they would sacrifice them. They would sacrifice them to their pagan gods. It was just like this terrible place. And Jesus, as he walked and he taught, and Jesus talked more about heaven and hell than anybody, right? But as he talked and, and taught people the truths of, of reality and, and of the Bible, right? His word, he used the word Gehenna. He used this place to illustrate to people what hell is like. He says it's that bad. And so as James is, is saying this, he's really picking up on the theme of his big brother, Jesus. And, and as I think about this, I don't know about for you guys, but this is just deeply convicting in me because we all stumble in many ways. And we need to realize that it is possible to go down to hell, get fire, and then set your Christian brothers and sisters on fire and boil them alive with your words. It's totally possible. And it happens all the time. And we might even say, well, that's not what I intended to do. But guys, this is what a spark does. This is exactly what a spark does. I mean, how many of you have been set on fire by somebody's words? Seriously, how many? A couple people? I mean, if we're all honest, like every hand will be up. We've experienced this. And we're really quickly to say, yeah, like I've been set on fire by someone's words. It's crippled me. Now, I just want you to consider this. Who have you set on fire? Who is it? Because what I find in my life and what I think is true of all of us is that I'm really quick to think about the people that have set me on fire. We tend to do that. But we're not as quick to be aware of the people in the ways that we've set fires. But this is what the tongue can do. 
And when James says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness and stains the whole body, it's almost like he's saying this. It's like, you know that terrible place outside the city where garbage is just burning all the time? It stinks. There's a ton of just like evil and sinful things happening. It's like, you know that place? And the person's like, yeah, Gehenna. He's like, when we are careless with our words, the garbage that's in our hearts, the sin that exists in all of us, it's set ablaze. And like the putrid smoke that reminds us of the garbage burning in Gehenna, our tongues let everyone hear the wickedness in our heart. This is what James is saying. And guys, because I think this is just, obviously it's so true and so relatable to to all of us, I wanna lean into this just for a minute and ask the question like, how do we start fires with our words? Like we don't wanna just keep this like kind of theoretical, but like let's practically talk about like what are the ways that we, Christians, docs a church, like what are the ways that we tend to start fires? And, and there's probably a ton of answers to this. For me, as I thought about it, I think gossip leads the list for most people. And gossip, guys, is just something that is so incredibly hurtful. It's something that damages people and it's something that damages community. I, mean, I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul speaks of, of gossip. It's gonna come up here on the screen. He's, he's talking about like the wrath of God on the unrighteous and he says in Romans 1, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God. And he goes on. But like sometimes we, we think of like gossip and just being loose with our words and just saying stuff. Like it's not that big a deal, but the apostle Paul puts gossip right in the mix of, of all these evil things. I mean, murder, like these crazy like demonic things that are in opposition to God. This is how Paul talks about gossip. And gossip is really just this negative spirit that is more bent on hurting than helping. And the incredibly sad part of all this is a lot of Christians can deceive themselves into thinking that they're doing good by, by chattering away about people and what's going on in the world around them. Because the truth is, is that people who gossip tend to get pleasure out of sharing the negative news of what's going around people or what's going on with people. And, and, and chances are, guys, like, you've heard Christians do this, right? Like, we're not exempt from this. If, if you're not a Christian and you're here and you're online watching, like, I just want you to know, like, we are not exempt from this. We love Jesus, but we also times lot love sin. And we do a lot of oppositional stuff to the gospel. But thank God for his grace, right? But we hear Christians do this, and if we're all honest, we've done it. We're part of it. But gossip tends to start like this. Have you heard? Or, or did you know? Or I'm only telling you about this so that, so that you can just keep it to yourself, but I just want to tell you this, okay? I just got to get it off my chest, like, but keep it to yourself. And some quick Christians, like, they even shroud it more and they turn their gossip into prayer requests. Have you heard that one? Right, I just need to tell you this because Ruth is really, really jacked up and here's what's going on in her life and you riddle it off and then you say, now, I just told you that so you can pray for her. 
that's not a prayer, that's gossip, shrouded in disguise as a prayer request. And Christians, we, 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 we don't realize the power of our tongues and the destructive nature of it. And we deceive ourselves, thinking we're being really pious and spiritual. But that is just a a heart just filled with the evil that James is talking about here. And guys, the the flames of fire are just left in the wake of our gossip. We destroy people and we dishonor God when we gossip. And James is saying there's no room for that in the family of God. Because we're supposed to be. Do you remember what Jesus said? What are we supposed to be like? A city on a hill, right? That people can run to and find refuge and safety. Because if, if gossip and slander and all of these things are, are part of that community, that's not a safe place, right? We'll just be like every other place in the world where you have to walk into the church kind of looking over your back and being like, are they talking about me? Like, what are they saying about me? This is not the church that Jesus has established, right? What's another way? Social media is another way that I think many people start fires. You know, with the digital age that we we live in, we we don't even need to be looking at a person in the eyes. But we just post something. And we hide behind our screens and post these fire-starting words to some social media platform, and we just hurl words out there and think that we're not even responsible for them. We don't even have a conversation about it. We'll just throw it out there and, and I, guys, I, I see this so many times, like the stuff I see on social media that, that the people that I know love Jesus, that they post, I sit there and I think, oh my gosh, and you know what I see? I literally honestly see a 4th of July sparkler being thrown into a brush pile. It's a fire starter. It leads to fire and hurt and quarrels and division. The last thing I'll mention is, is this, is one of the ways I think we, we tend to start fires is that we, we don't handle conflict well. And Doxa, let me just say this. There is an absolute urgency for the family of God to learn how to use our tongues to pursue biblical conflict resolution because, guys, our world is crazy. I mean, you look around, how much division and anger and arguing and just brokenness is all around? I mean, it is insane. It's dividing so many people. We don't know how to handle conflict anymore. And so rather than talking about it, we just divide over it. We throw stones, we start fires, and then we leave. And I've seen so many relationships end horribly. I've seen so many families torn apart. I've seen people leave their churches because we just, we use our tongues and words in such poor ways when dealing with conflict. I want you to take a look at this, okay? This is substantial enough that I want you to look at Matthew 18. Write this down, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. You can look at it more thoroughly, talk about it in your connection group this week, but this is how Jesus tells us to deal with conflict when someone has sinned against us. Jesus says this, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is how Jesus says to to deal with conflict. And what's so sad, and guys, what's just honestly quite, it's, it's devastating to me, 
is that we as Christians, we don't tend to do this. That someone sins against us, we get mad, and rather than following Jesus and going to that person individually and talking to them and just trying to seek reconciliation and working it out, we don't do that. We go to other friend groups. We go to a social media platform. We go to a text message thread and we just put people on blast, right? And we, we gossip, we slander, we throw people under the bus, and we just start a fire and we unleash hell. Guys, and God is just looking at his kids and weeping because we destroy each other with our words, just like a forest fire. And so let me just ask you, as just one of the leaders here at this church, Doxa, can we please, please, for the love of God, for the love of each other, for the sake of the gospel in our city, in our world, can we just not be part of this? I mean, quite honestly, guys, I'm just weary of watching this happen so often and I've done it and I've been on the receiving end of it and so have you but this all brings death guys let's be a church that resolves to take the Jesus who saved us seriously let's resolve to be like Jesus who brings life and who has brought life to us can we do that I can't see if you're smiling, thumbs up, whatever, amen, maybe, can we do it? I don't know, but how do we do this? Like how? Because the third thing that we need to understand about the tongue is this, is that the tongue is actually uncontrollable. This is what James says, and it's amazing, okay? I've, I've seen whales at SeaWorld back in the day play jump rope with their trainers, right? I've seen huge lions on command sit down and sit on the lap of their, their trainer, right? I've, I've seen eagles be trained in such a way that they can go kill a prey and then fly it back to their master and set it at their feet. I've seen a woman on TV kiss a deadly cobra on the lips, but I've never seen a man or a woman who on their own power could tame the tongue. And I say this on the grounds of the Bible, look back to verse seven. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Guys, this is true of every single one of us. And, I, and I've thought about it like this. You know, people who oftentimes like struggle with some type of addiction, alcohol, gambling, drugs, right? They, they find freedom over that. But you talk to them and, and some of their most difficult battles is not with their substances, but it's with their tongue. It's just uncontrollable and it's deadly. He's already pointed this out, but he says it again, it's full of deadly poison. And I'm reminded of this every time when we see someone powerful and successful brought down by one word, one statement that they can't take back. You know, that one instant, have you seen this? The one instant where they just kind of come undone, they lose their cool, they say something in the heat of the moment that they can't take back, and in that instant, it destroys their life, it ends their career, it ruins relationships. We've all seen this. 
And we need to grasp this or we're going to misunderstand what James is saying in this verses because he's not outlining like a seven-step program for mastering our tongues. All right, he's actually doing the exact opposite things. You know, he's saying that this is something that you're not able to do. You desperately need to do it, but you can't because it's beyond human capacity. And by showing us this, he's driving us to the grace of God. And we'll see that in just a moment. But the last thing that James says is this, is that the tongue is revealing. This is the fourth thing that he gives us with the anatomy of the tongue. Verse nine, look at this. With it, all right, the tongue, this, this little thing that has huge implications. Like how many of you, you're with me, you get it. Right, the Holy Spirit's kind of got you right now and you're feeling like convicted. But this is good news. This is good because God doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to convict you. He wants to show you something for the sake of change so you can become more like him. So this is actually good. And I need this as well. This is one of the harder messages that I have to preach because I'm like have a mirror right in front of me and I'm like, Rob, listen to this. But he says, the tongue is revealing Verse nine, with it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a tree, a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. All right, so James is evidently seeing like a contradictory phenomenon happening in the church, that he's seeing people in a place like we are now or in your living room with your family who are speaking, singing, praying the things of God, hands in the air, pumping their fists at the right part of the song, right? All of these different things, they're, they're praising God. And those same people with the blessings of God on their lips, they get in their cars, they drive into the everyday stuff of life, and they curse and tear down and gossip and set ablaze the people that the God that they worship created, loved, and died for. And James is seeing this and he's like, do you see how backwards this is? That ought not be so. That's what he says, it ought not be so. And what James is saying is that you have to get to the source. See, whether it's the source of the fruit or the source of the water, the whole point is you have to get to the source. And in the Bible, the source of our words is the heart. It's used around 900 times. And it's not just like the physical organ that's in our chest, but it's the spiritual center. It's who we actually are. This is why Proverbs talks about the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Jesus says the same thing, that our words come from our heart. And we just need to come to realize that our mouths give revelation to our heart. That our words are kind of like a barometer of our spiritual life. And so the next time like you, you catch yourself like speaking evil against someone or the next time you, you gossip and the next time you catch yourself slandering, realize in that moment that your words are really kind of showing the condition, the spiritual condition of your heart. When you realize this, it changes things. I'll say things and they'll be like, oh my gosh, like, what did I just say? Like, where did that come from? That's, that's Gehenna coming up. And James just wants us to know that our tongues and our words show us our sin and our need for a savior. A deep breath. 
here's what I love. Because here's the good news. Because right now, we're all probably feeling pretty convicted. I told you, this is one of those times where we just all relate to this. We feel that. But I want you to understand this. Jesus gets the last word. That he who does not stumble in any way goes to the cross to suffer and die for we who have stumbled in many ways. And while shameful, horrible things are being said about Jesus, Jesus gets the last word. And do you remember what his last word is? As he's hanging on the cross for the sins of the world, for your sin, for, for my sin, the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them. That Jesus unleashed heaven on those who were unleashing hell. And there's good news. The good news is, is that we're all guilty. Everybody today. But if you belong to Jesus, you're forgiven. That he knows that we stumble in many ways and he forgives all of that. That he alone is the one that can tame our tongues. And this is the goal of James here. This is his goal. Because, guys, we could quite honestly hear all of this and say, you know what, on my own, I'm going to walk out of here, I'm going to white-knuckle it, I'm going to give it the gold college try, I'm a really disciplined person, I'm going to try really hard, and I'm going to tame my tongue. I'm going to do that. Because what we just heard in our track record will show us that this is just simply an act of futility, that we cannot do this on our own. Other people, you'll, you'll hear this, and, and maybe you'll be like, you know what, that is true. It's a world of unrighteousness, this little thing in my mouth, right? I'm just going gonna, gonna to resolve to really not say anything, okay? That this could be like one of the more quiet exits to the building after the service, right? It's just like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? No, that's not what we, that's, that's foolish too. That's not what James wants. What James wants us to do is he wants to push us towards his big brother, Jesus. He wants to push us towards the Savior, the one who has the answer to how we tame our tongue. And as I thought about this, guys, it, it pointed me to Psalm 51. It came to mind this week as I, as I was thinking about this. David, in Psalm 51, he, he says this. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so when we have that question of like, well, what do we do in response to this? It's uncontrollable, it's untamable. Well, what do we do, guys? It's cry out to God. We cry out to God and just say, God, change my heart and my tongue will follow. Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's only as my heart is cleansed and put right with God, which was what God offers for us in Jesus, that I'll be able to change and be like him. Guys, it's only by the work of Jesus for us, in us, and through us that we can live as the men and women that he's created us to be. And so our tongues, they, they need to be set alight, not from below by hell, but from above by God himself. And this happens by faith and repentance. This is what Jesus says when he comes on the scene in Mark chapter 1 gives his inaugural address. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. What do you do? Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Repent, meaning it's like you change the way that you think and you turn to God. And so you see this thing, you're seeing your tongue, you're seeing your heart today, and you say, that is not the way it should be. You turn from that and you turn to God and you believe the gospel, that Jesus died and lived and gave everything for you. 
through faith. He makes us new. And guys, I just need to be totally honest with you that the only hope we have is the only hope offered, which is being born anew by the saving grace of Jesus. Guys, it's always about Jesus. It's about coming to Jesus, being born again, made new. And so for those of you who you're here, you're, you're tuned in, and, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but you're here in this place, I, I, while I limp onto the stage and wholly tremble, just like knowing that I shouldn't want to be a teacher, I know that God has called me to do this, and I'm honored to teach you the Bible, and my prayer is that as you hear this, that you would come to Jesus, you need Jesus. Let him save you, let him forgive you, let him give you a new heart. God says, come and I'll give you a new heart. And this is not so that you can just have better words and, and be, have a better tongue, it's so that you can have eternal life, salvation, forgiveness. Come to Jesus and for those of you who are Christians, let me just say this, two things that we need to keep in mind as a response to this. Be low and be slow, all right? Be low, meaning you're on your knees before our holy, heavenly Father, worshiping him, going to him in prayer and worship, realizing that John 15 is true, like apart from him, I can do nothing, that he is life, he is the author of life, I need him for life. And we worship and we pray and we're slow pointing back to what James talks about in James 1.19, this idea of being slow to speak, that by the empowering grace of God, we can have some discipline as we worship and we're empowered by God to live like Jesus for the sake of the world. So the application for every single one of us today, come to Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thanks for yeah, this, this specific passage of Scripture. God, we, we know that verses, like all the Bible is breathed out and, and profitable, and it's from you. And Because this is just a one specific one that just hits so close to home. And God, I, I feel the conviction, I feel the weight of my words. I see my heart, and I know that there's probably many of us that we feel like heavy right now. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would light up the cross, that you would bring us to Jesus, that you would create in us a new heart, stir our affection for you, our love for you. We want to be a church that, that loves you above everything else. We want to be a church that's all about Jesus and people. We want more and more people to meet you, Jesus. And we know that a big part of that is the way that we use our tongue in the words that we speak. And so help us as Christians to be truth speakers, not gossipers, not slanders, not ones who start fires. But let us look to you, your words and your works and your ways, and model our life after you through the empowering presence of your spirit. I just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So guys, I'm going to invite you to stand.
we're going to respond and sing. And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to sing a truth to reinforce what James is talking about. And we're just going to sing, Lord, I need you. Every single hour, I need you. You don't just need Jesus one time to save you from the effects of your sin and from hell, but we need Jesus every day, every second of our lives. And we're going to sing this truth. So let's sing together.